Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So we are in a series on living in an evil world. We're in part three of that. And what I want to do is I want to encourage everyone to uh, rise up and be who God has called you to be in spite of what's going on in the world around us. Not much has changed, you know? We're, we're, we're talking about Daniel and Babylon, and here we are at the end of the age. And where are we? In Babylon once again, huh? Just crazyville all around us. So these portions, these stories, they're relevant for our lives, and the lessons in them, of course, uh, highly applicable for our lives. So we've been looking at Daniel and his three friends. They've been swept away into captivity, into Babylon, and there they reemerge in a very pagan nation and culture. In God's providence, they are chosen, among others, to be trained to serve in the king's court. They will be given the best living arrangements, education, foods, and a future in the king's service. But Daniel, he risks all of that in what looks like a foolish stand over dietary issues. Why would he do this? How did he do this? And what lessons and principles can we take away from this story? If Daniel could live and prosper in a pagan culture and nation without compromising on the commandments of God, then so can we. So let's take a deeper look into this intriguing story and learn to apply the principles therein. This is part three in our series. So we're going to just jump into the text. And if you missed the previous two, um, you'll probably have some questions, and that's okay. So, as we said, in the midst of this um, conquered Israel, this invasion by a foreign power that sweeps them away into exile, Daniel and his three friends are chosen, among other captives, to be trained to serve in the king's court. And Daniel determines from the outset that he's not going to compromise on the commandments of God. And the first test that comes to him is over food. Daniel is a believer. He's a follower of the Most High God. Our God has given us dietary laws. And Daniel is all about faithfulness and loyalty to the King of Heaven and his royal law. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he orders the trainees to be fed from his own choice food and wine. And Daniel makes the decision not to eat. But how he makes his stand is insightful and important for us to understand. In short, he humbly and honorably appeals to his delegated authority. And perhaps Daniel understood this truth that there is no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. And to resist authority is to resist God, thereby bringing condemnation upon oneself. The Apostle Paul wrote about these truths in Romans chapter 13. He's the one that said we need to submit to the governing authorities. That's fascinating when you take into consideration that he spent most of his time in jail for civil disobedience. So how do we reconcile that? Obviously, we talked about it last week, that we're called to 
obey our governing authorities, except when they ask us to violate the clear word of God. And in those settings, we are to what? Disobey. We're to disobey. But how do we do that? That's what's important, right? How do we disobey? We do that with humility. We do that with honor towards those whom we are disobeying. You say, yes, but Nebuchadnezzar, he's a pagan king. He's a pagan king. Are you saying that we have to honor pagan authorities? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. So let's look at honoring a pagan king. 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 through 14, and then we'll get back to Daniel. Peter says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Every human institution. You are to submit yourselves, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of of those who do right. So right there we have this command actually. It's a command to honor and to obey civil authorities. That we're to submit ourselves to them. He goes on in verse 5 or verse 15. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence ignorance, the ignorance of foolish men. Verses 16 through 17. Act as free men. Do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as, as uh, bond slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Now that's interesting. Honor the king. And which king is in power at this point? They're under Roman domination. The Roman emperors were totally pagan, ruthless, at times di dictators, dishing out whatever they wanted to dish out to the people. And here's Peter saying, honor the king. Imagine that, right? A pagan king, honor the king. We don't have kings, not in our country. We have a president and representatives. People have told me over and over, Mark, we don't have to obey them. We don't have to honor them. They're not our kings. They're our servants. We put them in office. They serve us. This passage does not apply. We have representatives, not kings. I always say, well, back up a couple phrases. It starts in verse 17. Honor all people. Honor everyone. Defer to one another. Even unbelievers show some respect and honor in your relationship with other people. We're out of control in our nation. When you think about it, how do we treat delegated authority? It's just absolutely a crying shame when you think about how we respond to delegated authority. We're a nation that's highly independent, often falling into rebellion as we assert ourselves against anyone that would try to take authority over us. Peter says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Submit yourself to every human institution. And I think that's what we're called to do. You know, Daniel did that beautifully. Daniel did that wonderfully. 
In fact, let's get back to Daniel as we look at how he disobeyed the king. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. Daniel says, I'm just not going to do it. Now, now, what's the setting? They're slaves. They've just been brought from Israel. And now they're being inducted into this train, this, this, this program to train them so they can serve the king. Do you realize the vast majority of them were not chosen? There was only uh, you know, a select number that were chosen to be educated by the king and raised up by the king to serve the king. Daniel's in this very, very uh, uh, select group that has this opportunity to rise up in Babylon. And he determines, I'm not going to eat the king's food. What does that mean? Well, it could cost him his life. Surely he's going to be kicked out of the program. Can you imagine everyone else that wasn't chosen? They're probably thinking, man, choose me. I'll take Daniel's place, right? I mean, what is Daniel doing? Look at what he risks. And for what? For what? Dietary issues. But for Daniel, it was more than dietary. For Daniel, it was, hey, my God is the king of heaven. Even this earthly king has to answer to him. He's a higher authority. And he has given us laws concerning what we, what we can eat and what we cannot eat. And I've determined I'm going to obey the king of heaven, even if it costs me everything. Now, that is the beauty of Daniel, that he is a man of conviction. He's going to take his stand. He's going to say, you know what? I live for God and for his glory, not for any man, not for any king, not for anyone, but for God and his glory. Now, when he takes his stand, though, we're going to see that how he does that is just as important as why he does that. He does that quite differently than most people do. Let's read about that. Daniel made up his mind. He would not defile himself with the king, or his choice food, or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Daniel says, I'm not going to defile myself. But then he goes to the commander and he appeals to the commander. He asks for permission. He says, I can't do this. You know, when you humble yourself and you recognize authority and you honor authority and you appeal to authority, it's amazing what God will do. Absolutely amazing. Daniel didn't say, what? I'm not going to eat that pagan food from that pagan king to hell with that king, you know, or whatever. Not at all. No name calling. No arrogance. He humbles himself and he appeals to his delegated authority. Look what happens. Verse 9. On the heels of that, it says, Now God, now, after the fact, after Daniel takes his stand and does it with humility and grace and honor, it says, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. So the commander of the officials now looks at Daniel and says, I like that guy. I don't even know why. I just like this guy. You know, the favor of God will turn the heart of whoever it is towards you and for you. And guess who's for Daniel now? The commander of the officials. I mean, he's like, he's like not too far under King Nebuchadnezzar. 
Favor changes everything. Think about it today. Everyone's clamoring for privilege today. Isn't that true? Everyone. And they want to base it on the color of their skin or their sex or their gender. But I want to tell you, those are dead-end streets. Dead-end streets. The only enduring privilege is covenant privilege. It's the only privilege that endures. And those who walk in covenant with God have incredible privileges. Daniel's discovering this in his life story. Verse 10, And the commander of the official said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king. Who's that? Nebuchadnezzar. I'm afraid of him. You know, kings in those days, you, you did what you were supposed to do or it was your head. Many heads rolled in these pagan monarchies. And the official is saying, you know, David, look, I really like you. I'm listening to you. I hear you. But I fear my Lord, the king. I value my life. I'm afraid of the Lord, my king, who has appointed your food and your drink. For why should he see your faces looking more haggard than the youths who are your own age? Then you would make me forfeit my head to the king? Really, David? But Daniel, I'm sorry, Daniel, not David. But Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths who are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants according to what you see. 10 days, that's all I'm asking. Give us vegetables and water. And then compare us with the others who are eating the king's choice food and drinking his wine. And then if, if, if we're more haggard, if we're looking you know, pretty rough or whatever, then okay, uh, you know, I'll defer to you. But if not, then support me and give us what we need. I love this. Let us be given some vegetables to eat. Every time I read that, I always think, of my mother and her voice in my head when I got vegetables on my plate at 64 years old. Eat your vegetables, you know? Okay, side note. Verse 14, so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were fatter than all the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. So the overseer continued to withhold their choice food and the wine which they were to drink and kept giving them vegetables. Ah, the vegan diet. Any vegans? Can I get an amen? Got a few vegans here maybe, huh? Now, I do want to say that Daniel opting for a, a vegetable diet, basically, a vegan diet, this was to ensure that he would not end up eating unclean foods or profane foods that are listed in the Torah. 
it's an easy end around to get to safeguard the dietary laws. Daniel and his friends, they passed their first test of faith in Babylon. Just because they were in a foreign country, just because they were under hardship, didn't mean they could compromise on the commandments of God. You know, it's, it's in those settings that our faith gets tested. Will we really follow God when it costs us something? That's the true test of whether or not we have faith, right? What are we going to do when our authorities ask us to do something that violates the word of God? I ran into this over and over and over the first 20 years of, 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 um, of working. I worked uh, in retail and our, my employer uh, basically said, you have to work. You're scheduled to work on Saturday. You have to work. And I had to, you know, think through that and realize if I don't do this, I may lose my job. And I had, you know, my family, my parents saying, Mark, you know, God understands. God, you have a wife, you have a child, you have to provide for them. It's okay. God understands. You, you, you can work on Saturday because your employer's saying you have to or else. God understands. Well, that's not what I was reading. You know, what I was reading is God expects us to take a stand for him even if it costs us something. And so we did. We trusted. We made the decision. We're going to stay the course. And we trusted God. And things got worse. I was written up. After a couple times of not showing up on Saturday, I was finally suspended. First with pay, then without pay. There was due process. It would take months. But ultimately, I would be fired. And we came right down to that point of termination. I'm sitting up in the manager's office, going to get terminated. They got the papers. They're ready to terminate me. And they're giving me like a final chance. I mean, this happened like three different times in a 20-year period with three different store managers. And they all tried to fire me, got the legal department involved. I mean, it was always a big deal. It was a big deal. It went all the way down to the to the main office, there was over 15,000 employees, a rather large company in the union, of course, and so it was very complicated. But nonetheless, God would always deliver me. I'd always end up keeping my job. It was amazing how God gave us favor through those years and kept us employed, even with so many you know, people coming against us at different times to try to take our job away. It was amazing. But we learned God is faithful. God is faithful. And even if I lost my job, so what? I passed the test. God's my provider. He'll give me another job, right? He'll give me another. Why should I have to compromise on the commandments of God for an employer or for anybody for that matter, right? But we never did that in arrogance, although I got bolder and bolder. You know, the third manager that's trying to fire me and, and doing all this deep, I'm just trying to say, look, I can save you a lot of time. No, I, two, two, other, two other managers like you have tried this same thing with the same legal department. We know how this is going to end. You know, I said, if God wants me to keep my job, you can't take it away. And if I'm supposed to lose my job, I can't do anything to keep it anyway. You know, but um, I was always humble. I was always respe respectful and honorable towards those in authority over me. Uh, that we're trying to, you know, press the issue. So Daniel says, you know what? We're not going to do this. They passed the test. God rewarded their loyalty to his law by granting them favor with their delegated authorities. I cannot tell you, you know, every, every store manager that tried to fire me, 
by the end of it, we like our best friends. So somehow through the journey of just knock down drag outs and all of a sudden talking more and more and more and then me sharing my faith and the next thing I know, I'm helping him through a, a, a divorce and he's about ready to just you know quit everything and go to Margaritaville. And I end up ministering and we end up being like friends and it was like amazing what God would do through it all. It was just always so many surprises along the way. I want to encourage you, walk in God's ways, don't compromise and no matter what happens, know that God can turn it around for the good. So, diet matters. Just ask Daniel. Diet matters today. I want to encourage you with that. Daniel chapter 1, verse 17. Let's continue to explore covenant privilege. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. They took their stand, they got favor, and then God blessed them and gave them gifting, imparted to them wisdom and knowledge, and they began to rise up among everyone else in that program. They excelled in their education, God was positioning them all along to get them ready to be cultural influencers, to be change makers for the empire that they were being raised in. Later, they're going to be promoted in significant ways. This is covenant privilege. God's providential care working behind the scenes, making a way for Daniel and his three friends. God hasn't changed. You're his sons and daughters. In Messiah, you're in covenant with him. God will make a way for you. Your job is to just take a stand for him and his glory, walk in his ways, and let him do whatever he's going to do. Never be discouraged about the roadblocks. Never be discouraged about the demotions or threats or crisis or trials and tribulations look to god have faith in him know that he can turn all things around for your good he's done it over and over and over he loves you as much as he loved daniel he loves you as much as he loved daniel believe in jesus keep the commandments of god and watch what god will do in your life Verse 18, then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 19, the king talked with them, the four Hebrew kids, they're like 15 years old, or Daniel's 15, I'm not sure the age of the other kids, but Daniel's approximately 15. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. So they're being prepped for the king's court. They take a stand for God. God gives them favor. And through that covenant privilege, one of those privileges being favor, they rise up not only to serve in the king's court, but they become his personal servants. They're on the inner court 
of the king's court. That's amazing when you think about it. Here's Daniel, drug away into captivity in a strange place, strange language, doesn't know anyone, basically a slave, and now he's going to be right in the heart of the throne room of the king of Babylon. That's amazing. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all of his realm. And Daniel continued until the first year of Cyrus the king. Ten times. What do we call that? That's covenant favor, covenant privilege. People in Messiah, we have this status with God. We have covenant standing with God. Our problem is that we focus on the problems. Our problem is we focus on the circumstances. And then we relate and try to interact with those circumstances through our own natural inclinations. Rather than saying, God, what are you doing? Look at this roadblock. How do we move that? Or how do we go through that? Or what are you going to do as a result of that? But my trust is in you. I will not fear. I will not bow. I'm going to serve you and look for the miracle that's coming. Because our God is a miracle-working God. Isn't that true? He is. He's going to give breakthroughs for every one of us. We're his children. He loves us. He's going to raise us up if we have faith in him. So Daniel continues until the first year of King Cyrus. He goes from Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. He's going to go through another king or two in the Medo-Persian Empire until Cyrus shows up. Do you know how many years that spans? 75 years, basically. Daniel's 15 years old. He's going to die at approximately 84 years old in the first year of the reign of Cyrus the king. 70 years he spends in captivity. 70 years in a pagan environment. 70 years among unbelievers all around him. Agendas that are ungodly all around him. And what does he do? Does he run and hide? Does he retreat? Does he isolate? No, he doesn't. He jumps in the middle of that, and he rises to the top. And I believe, I do, I believe this. We're called to be involved in our nation. We're called to be involved in our institutions. We're not called to retreat. We're called to be involved. Daniel was in Babylon, but he wasn't of Babylon. We're to be in our nation, but not of the nation. And we're not to fear anything, but look for God to make a way for each and every one of us. And that's how we rise up. That's how we rise up. We're to be the influencers. We're to be the people with power and authority. We're to be the people that make changes in the lives of all those around us. That's who God has called us to be. And we must engage in our nation, our national life. These principles that we find in the life of Daniel, they work today. These principles can be applied in our lives today. They work. I remember when I first learned this important area of honoring delegated authority. I never wrote so many letters in all my life. 
we were encouraged to write letters to delegated authorities that we rebelled against, that we gave a hard time uh, uh, towards. I had so many teachers. I, I, had, I had authority figures, starting with my parents. My, my first letters were to my parents because I was a punk with a lot of problems and a lot of anger, and I was not respectful to my parents. And I'm writing letters and crying, and I'm giving, because I couldn't go talk to them initially because I was just, but anyway, they read those letters. They were overwhelmed with that. It birthed new relationship with my parents. It put our relationship back on the map and got healthy and strong. And I'm so glad, and I did that with teachers. I did that with different authority figures. I wrote those letters, and I made it right because I was just out of control, totally disrespectful, totally rebellious. So I learned how to do that and got that right and served me well, especially in our uh, career before we uh, jumped into uh, pastoring. So in conclusion, Daniel rises in pagan Babylon through steadfastness in the ways of God. He refuses to compromise, but his refusal is humble, respectful, dignified, and with honor. He is not arrogant toward this pagan authority. He honors it and appeals to it, knowing that God is using it to accomplish his purposes. God's the one that brought Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is called the servant of the Lord. Daniel calls them the king of kings and lord of lords. It's amazing. Daniel understood that God is using this pagan king and his army to discipline Israel. To resist him is to resist what God was doing. Man, that's insightful. People, that, that, that alone should, should be a breakthrough for all of us to recognize just because a person's an unbeliever doesn't mean that God isn't using them to accomplish his purposes in our lives. He's in Babylon, but he's not of it. He not only survives, but thrives and prospers due to covenant privilege. The lesson for us is, let's make sure we're in covenant with God, right? Let's make sure we're in covenant with God. There might be one or two here that are, are not in covenant. You might be saying, well, how do, I, how do I get in covenant with God? It's really simple. You just put your trust in Jesus, the Messiah, and you will enter into covenant with God, and God will move on your behalf. I want to lead you in a prayer with me. It's a simple prayer. I just want to lead you in this prayer. You can pray this with me, and uh, if, you, if you pray this in sincerity, God will meet you, cause you to be born again, and you can enter into covenant with him. Just say after me, Lord Jesus, I repent and turn away from my sins. Forgive me. Come into my life. I make you my Savior and my King. Amen. Amen. If you've done that, you've entered into covenant with God. If you've done that, new beginnings are coming to you. If you've done that, you're going to begin to experience the favor of God in your life. For those that have already done that, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. As believers, walk in faithfulness to the covenant. As believers, embrace the law of God as a way of life. Let it direct your paths. No compromise. 
God will test you in that. And those tests are opportunities to experience what Daniel experienced. Hardship and blessing. And I encourage you to walk in his ways. Make a renewed commitment today to the royal law of our God, of our King. Amen?